What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> I hate to again, but I was just talking to law enforcement this morning, and again, we're just having a rash of drownings. That's something I did want to hit on. I say and, we uh, start on a on a high note, and mm -hmm. then we and then because I mean I've got there's been the high profile drownings lately, mm -hmm. um, both in the state of Kentucky and like the whole nation. You know, uh, Kristen's actually my girlfriend actually has her eye on a specific drowning because it's you know a, a, an actress that the know, Glee girl, yeah, the Glee girl. What happened? She was helping her son get up in the boat. She just got, no, she cramped. Well, I guess we will start here. I'm Chase Winnegar, host of the podcast. You're Lee McClellan, co-host. I hope everyone is doing well. Yeah, I hope they are too. Staying hydrated, staying cool. It's yes. hot outside. Hydration, very important when and, it's this blue blazing hot. And hot, being dehydrated can cause cramps. Yes. And that's where we're going right now. <laughs> so, um, no, she, the way I understand it, actually, I've got the article right here. Um, I was looking at it earlier. I saw it on the news this morning. She they found her. She rented a pontoon boat for her and her four-year-old son to go out on the lake. They went swimming. She didn't have a PFD, and she was unable to climb back in the boat. She was able to get him in the boat, luckily, but she was unable to climb back in, and she ended up, um, I guess, becoming exhausted or getting a cramp, one of the two, and, and went under, and they found the boat just drifting with the, the four-year-old on it, I think three hours later or something like that. So that drowning took place, and that's kind of high profile because well, I guess a lot of people knew who she was. I was never a Glee person. I never watched Glee, so I probably a wouldn't have recognized her. A lot of boats have a ladder on them, don't they? You know, I was really surprised by that. Um, I would think that, like myself. I mean, I've been on a pontoon boat a thousand times, well, and I've never had a problem. You know, if she hadn't done this before, if she just rented a boat to go out on a lake, she might not have known. And... Um, you know, I, I, the question I had was, I think that I could probably, if I'm in the water, hold on to something yeah, and, and stay there for a long time, right? Yeah. But that might not be the case for everybody. Um, she might just not have been able to get, pontoons are round and slippery if mm -hmm. they're wet. You know, she might not have been able to get her hand up and grab a hold of the deck of the boat and hang on. But, I mean, she didn't think she was in danger when she jumped in the water. Obviously, you just got to be safe, mm -hmm. right? And PFD is a good safe bet yeah so it works every time if you wear it as long as you don't go through a dam or something if, yeah. you're, if you're on a lake pft is good good safe bet so that we you know is unfortunate it happened to her that's high profile i think a lot of people have their their eye on it and hopefully it raises some awareness and people start you know being a little more safe and then also recently lake cumberland we had a 17 year old yep. teenager who drowned not the exact same way, but they were swimming in a cove, got a cramp, couldn't make it to shore, and his friends couldn't get to him in time, so he went down. Both of those are just, they're not a boating accident or anything like that. You know, they didn't hit the shore, they didn't fall out of the boat, they just went swimming and got cramps, didn't have PFDs on, and um, went under. And that's one of the points that me and you actually hit on a either last podcast or the one before, mm -hmm. was that that's a, a, a much riskier thing it's a, it, it accounts for a lot more accidents than people think it does. It's just swimming and getting exhausted or getting a cramp and not being mm -hmm. able to stay afloat. Well, you know, people, um, I was talking this morning, 40 drownings so far this year, mm -hmm. really in mid-July. Um, I read a news release from the Corps that said um, drownings in June um, were on the Corps Lakes um, were up 47% from June of last year. Yeah. Um, and you know, just inexperience is really playing a, a role in a lot of this. That that one in Cave Run Lake, that that was a really good kid, a bright future. Um, and I saw pictures of him, and uh, he never had his PFD on, and he yeah. didn't, he couldn't swim. So, 
I mean, if, 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 you, if your swimming skills are weak, then you need to have a PFD on all the time when you're on the water. Yeah. All I'm, the time. Oh, and you know what? I, you said if your swimming skills are weak, I was going to, I pulled up this one. Uh, I saw, this is July 12th, 2020. Today is the 15th, so this is on Sunday. A Louisville man drowned in Deem Lake, which mm -hmm. is in Indiana. Yep, I used to fish there with my granddaddy. So that one doesn't go towards Kentucky statistics, not counted in the f what the numbers you just gave. But um, same thing, Miss, uh, went swimming in Deem Lake. Uh, I'm not sure exactly, beyond the designated area. Without a life jacket, he began struggling. Same thing, exact same thing. He didn't have a life jacket on. He was swimming in the lake, began struggling, went down. I mean. And I'm assuming that, you know, all of these people could swim, but... Well, you know, Major Shane Carrier exactly. today was talking about, you can swim in a PFD. Everybody's like, can't swim in PFD. Oh, oh, PFD. Kristen, when we go to the creek, we went to the creek uh, not long ago, just uh, it was hot out. We mm -hmm. just went to go swimming. And uh, the water's only like four feet deep. We didn't take uh, PFDs. And while we were there, she was, you know, bummed out, thinking, I wish I had my PFD because I could just float. It'd be so much more comfortable. She could, you know... Mm -hmm not have to stand there the whole time. She could kind of just relax and be buoyant in the water. Mm -hmm. It's more enjoyable, or she can kind of lay on it like it's a raft and or something. And if you get a cramp, you get it winded, you get exhausted, you're not going to sink. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, it's always a good idea. I don't go... Well, people, you know, one of the things they brought out was when people start getting winded or they start cramping, yeah. the human reaction a lot of times is panic, um, flailing, mm -hmm. uh, things that make you even more tired. Yeah. Um, no, it's 100% true. Panic. I mean, your breathing goes up. Yeah, you, your, your breath rate goes up, your heart rate goes up, you're expelling more energy, and that can lead to doom. I'll tell you, you what. Know, just lay on your back, learn to float on your back, and when you have that, if you're swimming. But if you have PFD on, it doesn't matter. But yeah. still, you can float on your back even if you don't have one on. I tried that the other Until day. Until you regain I, your breath. Yeah. I, uh, I wear a life jacket, of course, every time I kayak, and I kayak fish, but mm -hmm. sometimes just when I go wade fishing, if the... You know, I don't necessarily wear my life jacket when I'm wade fishing Elkhorn, but when I go down to the river... Mm -hmm. you know, and you could step off in something deep. Yeah. So you can step off in something deep, or you could potentially just lose your footing and slip into a riffle. I wear my PFD sometimes down there when I'm literally standing in waist-deep water just mm -hmm. fishing because it gives me a little extra security. And I try to read the water, too. You know, I'm looking at the current seams and thinking, okay, if I did slip here, where would I go? Mm -hmm. And I try to be aware of that so I, I won't stand in a spot where if I do fall and slip, then I'm getting sent into something dangerous. I always kind of try to position my body so that if something bad does happen, I can safely swim to shore when I, you know, if I go into some deep water and I have to swim. And speaking of the falls, I want to get on maybe a little bit more of a bright note. But it is important to hit that because... You know, I'd wish people would quit drowning, and the way to do it's to wear a PFD and to be smart, and trying to trying to hammer that home. You know, one one last thing: there was a a, a, a kid in, in a lake here in Central Kentucky, and they've. I don't want to get too much into it. It's tragic. Yeah. But, you know, people tend to you know, especially when you're young, overestimate swimming ability, underestimate distance. Yeah. And the way they figure is, you know, Olympic pool is 25 meters, so he went back and forth without resting three times, yeah. without touching bottom, without resting. Yeah. And uh, you'd have to be in good shape to do that. Yeah. And if you do that on a lake and you get a cramp and you have no PFD on yeah. it, it's bad. I'll tell you what, I used to be, I used to be a really good swimmer. Like I competitively swam up through high school and had my invite to the Junior Olympics. And I mean, like I was a good swimmer. I felt extremely confident in the water. I took a few years off and I was in college and I was like, you know, I need to start working out and swimming is about as good a workout as you can get. So I went to the pool 
and on campus there and started swimming laps. And I'm telling you, by the time I got done with that fourth lap, I mean, my arms were just on fire and mm. I was like, man, this doesn't feel anything like it did, mm. you know, four or five years ago. And uh, I was amazed at how difficult swimming that distance was for me mm -hmm. because of how easy it used to be. And you know, that I'd say I'm still a stronger swimmer than your average person. Mm -hmm. and 100 meters nonstop, not touching the bottom and just going at it. And, and, and say you're middle age and got a little paunch yeah. and don't, don't exercise a ton. But you think you can do that? You, you try that a few times, you're gonna you're gonna yeah. be in trouble. I tell you what, the tread water exercise is a good one. The next time people are at a pool, they should just see how long they can tread. Yeah, you know, I think it's actually part of our uh, swim test mm -hmm. for. I had our to do it in Boy Scouts, yeah. and then we had to use our jump in with jeans on. Yeah, take our jeans off, snap them and all, and then go under the water while treading water and blow blow up your jeans. And if you float on it, your jeans will hold water air, yeah. okay. and you can float on them. The uh, law enforcement. It was hard. I can't remember the exact distances or time, but I know for the law enforcement swim test, you had to jump in the water, swim. I'm wanting to say it was 100 meters without resting on the wall, and then as immediately as soon as you got done with that 100 meters, you couldn't rest on the wall. You had to just touch it and push off and tread water for X number of minutes. And I'm wanting to say you had to tread water for. I'm wanting to say 10. Dang. I might be wrong. But um, I mean, that's a swim test they put you through. And I think treading water is, you know. Tough. I mean, it can be. Yeah, it will wear you out eventually. So you, it might be a good idea for people just to see how long they can tread water for. Mm -hmm. And then that might give you an idea that you need to wear a PFD. <laughs> and you know, one of the things that made the article I read from the Corps brought up is, if you want to swim, you know, the little uh, manual inflatable belt packs mm -hmm. are great. Yeah. So you get tired, pull the thing, slip it over your head, lay back, you're yeah. like, oh. Yeah. Even if you don't want to have the drag of a normal PFD, yeah. you can still swim with a PFD. I personally like a PFD. Mm -hmm. I, I like the I, I, I like the inflatable for comfort, but when I'm actually out there fishing or on the water, something about just having the PFD that gives you a sense of safety. It's a foam one. I mean, I like that a lot more. And uh, I'm actually looking right now to get a whitewater PFD, which is a little bit more like form fitting. You know, mm -hmm. kind of hugs your body more. And I want one that has a, the knife on the chest. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there, it's a dull knife. It doesn't have a point on it, but the blades are sharp. So that way you can't accidentally puncture a, a raft or puncture something. Um, but you can cut a rope real quick. Cut a rope, cut line. And I just think having that knife attached to your chest, like when I'm sitting there and I'm waist deep in water or I'm in my kayak and I'm retying a bait, man, that's about the handiest place to, to mm -hmm. have a knife I could think of. So I, I'm looking to get one of those whitewater PFDs. The fishing PFDs for kayak use are really nice. I have yeah. one. They're smaller. They're designed to ride above your seat so yeah. it's comfortable. They're not as hot. They're mostly mesh. Yeah. Uh, and they, they hold a lot of stuff, too. Say they have pockets. Yes. Which is nice. Lee, I wanted to, uh, a minute ago I said we're going to move to a more positive note. Mm -hmm. let's, uh, let's do it by... Let's do it like this. So I had potentially three of the best days of fishing in my life this past weekend. And I mean, I'm not I'm not necessarily a cat fisherman. I just like to fish for whatever's biting and the catfish are what was biting. So I think uh, the first day I went down to the river, we fished uh, McAlpin. I went down on last Friday uh, with Bobby. He took his canoe and I took my uh, kayak. He's been on the podcast before. Oh yeah. Um, and we kayaked across with the intent of targeting hybrids, right? And one of the very first casts I made, I caught a nice size blue on a swim bait. I told Bobby, I said, I think uh, 
I think you've caught that's a not the first blue you've caught on swim bait. No, correct? they'll bite them. I, bought, I caught some big flatheads on swim baits earlier in the that's year. That's right. Flat. It was a flathead. But um, I told Bobby, I said, I think we need to switch gears here. And uh, so we just started fishing for bait, catching drum, accidentally snagging Asian carp, and we were using those for cut bait. And I'm telling you, we would put the cut bait on a on a hook. We were using I think eight odd uh, Mustad or Gamagatsu circle hooks and uh, Carolina rigged, you know, so a leader to a swivel to a bead to a weight. Mm -hmm. And we were casting it in this hole. How heavy a weight? I was actually going light. I think I was going one ounce to two ounce. And what it was allowing for was the bait to tumble through the hole. So if you cast up in the beginning in the riffle, your bait would over the course of maybe 45 seconds or a minute drift through the hole. And um, it let you cover water and it didn't seem like there were any snags. So that was kind of the way to go. I'm telling you, I've never caught catfish, so, you know, just back to back to back, drifting through that hole, they had to be piled up in there. I mean, as thick as could possibly be. And we caught, in three days, between me, Bobby, and Kristen, seven trophy fish by the states, you know, 35 inches trophy fish. The biggest one went 42, but we caught seven, mm. seven between 35 inches and 42 inches. And we were catching those basically casting, because I'm not talking about putting a rod in a rod holder. Did you release them all? Uh, yeah, every one. We did keep Asian carp. I'll tell you about that in a second. But, um, man, these catfish were sitting in two foot of water, all of them. And so as soon as you, you'd, you'd feel the bite and you'd, you know, reel down and set the hook, and then this catfish was immediately on the surface, like, you know, rolling and flopping on the surface. And it was unlike any catfishing I've ever done. Because typically when you're catfishing, you're thinking, hitting the bottom, hitting the deep water, you know, and I was talking to other people who were catfishing at the same time as us and not having as much luck. And I asked them where they were at, and they were just, you know, 400 yards downstream, but they were fishing 32 feet deep in these deep pockets, and they weren't having the luck we were. All that water that's coming through that dam, it's not an overhead dam. It's, um, you know, it's an Army Corps dam that has gates that lift, so the water coming through is coming from the bottom of the river upstream. So it's already going to be a little bit cooler. Mm -hmm. And as it tumbles over those and rocks. good oxygen too. Yeah, it tumbles over the rocks and it gets oxygenated. So that is cool oxygenated water up there. And that's just got to be pre preferred. And it's where all the bait were. It's where all the drum, all the gar, all the hybrids. It's where all the fish were. And so those catfish were just sitting in there. And it was, I mean, just fast action. Every cast, I mean, something was happening. Did if, you catch a common carp or grass? Or what was that one on the picture I saw this morning? Um, I'd have to... Uh, Look at it. Um, wasn't a buffalo? Might have been a buffalo. It might. It had that kind of uh, iridescent colors. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I think I put a picture of that on Facebook. If people you don't did. know what we're talking about, I think it was a buffalo. Um, but lots of catfish and. Did you keep the buffalo? Nope, nope. Uh, the only thing we did was Asian carp. We kept for bait. We used the air bladders out of the Asian carp, and that's one of my favorite all-time baits. Period. I caught five catfish on the same piece of bait. Because those air bladders are like rubber. And if somebody's listening and they want to try it, if you do happen to catch or snag an Asian carp, I mean, don't put it back in the water alive. Might as well use it for bait. If you just kind of make a cut down their side, kind of along that lateral line, and you look inside, you'll see something that looks, it's just white. I mean, it's as white as can be, and it's probably the size of a baseballer. You know, it's elongated, but it's about that same size. That is the air bladder. And um, the texture of it, it's not like it gets all over your hands. It's not nasty feeling. I mean, it, it feels clean and it's rubbery. And when you put it on a hook, I mean, it just, it stays. I don't, I mean, it's not coming off that hook and current. I learned that trick from uh, Jim Doom. We actually did a catfish segment with him. 
and he just took a dip net and scooped up a dead Asian carp, and he said, there's our bait. And so I thought, you know, that's what the catfish are already eating in the river, right? Mm -hmm. And so I figured, well, might as well give them what they want. And these catfish were sitting on the bottom under the Asian carp. You could see the Asian carp's uh, tail and, and dorsal fins out of the water, almost look like sharks out there. Mm -hmm. And you would literally cast right in the middle of all those Asian carp, and the catfish were sitting just under them. And it was, I mean, it was, I want to go back out and do it today. That's that's kind of where I'm at. And I broke two rods in the process. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so along with the good comes the bad, yeah. <laughs> Snapped uh, two fishing rods well, in the process. Not just any rod. Uh, yeah. G. Loomis GLX. Yeah, I broke my baby. But I also, so I broke my baby, which is sitting right here, G. Loomis GLX, and that really hurt. The way I broke that was actually on a hybrid. I, pick, I caught the fish and I picked it up. Bobby was gonna take a picture and I've rested my rod against my shoulder over my back. And then when I uh, was holding the fish, it took a hard flop. And you know how they have, I had the hook was still in its mouth and they have those sharp gill plates. So I didn't exactly have the best hold on it. When it flopped, I dropped it. I didn't have enough line out and my rod caught the fish, you know, mm. probably four feet through the fall. And when it caught it, all that weight just went to the rod tip, which was leaning against my shoulder. Kind of like the yeah. gentleman you saw break my rod. Yeah, you're right. It was exactly <laughs> like that. <laughs> Except he grabbed it from about a foot yeah. from the tip. <laughs> yeah, mine wasn't, mine wasn't And it wasn't a big hybrid. It was a mine, average string smallmouth. Mine wasn't quite as deliberate as his. You know, I accidentally <laughs> dropped the fish. Yeah, yours was hilarious. Man. <laughs> well, it wasn't for me. I uh, built that rod. I'm telling you, when that guy it's broke... It's like the second or third rod I ever built. People don't know. We went fishing with a guy, me and Lee did, and he didn't really... He wasn't really... I think he bought his fishing license that day. Yeah. He wasn't really a fisherman. Lee loaned him a rod, and he caught his first fish. And he literally grabbed the rod about a foot from the tip to lift the fish out of the water. <laughs> and lift all the, like, handle part and reel <laughs> yeah. flop. Yeah, so uh, mm -hmm. that rod broke. And uh, Lee, did, Lee was standing about 20 feet away, and I looked over at Lee when that rod broke. And he looked at the rod, and he said, did it break? And I, I had to turn away. I turned my face away from it because I was smiling. <laughs> but I didn't want you to see that, you know, I was laughing. <laughs> so the fact that you can laugh at it now, I can... I can well, that's all right. I mean, I wouldn't, you know, I took it philosophically. Well, know, break. Like when Bobby falls and, and you know, falls in the river and, and busts his back, you know, I, I laugh at him, you know, because I know he's okay. Yeah. I knew that, Rod, you'd be okay. Yeah. It wasn't the bronze back, right? Yeah, if so. it was my Loomis bronze back, that would have maybe had to sit down and just well, have a... The yeah, other rod I broke, so I told you, fit. you know I broke the Loomis. Um, the other rod I broke was the Shimano Corrado that's actually Kristen's. Mm -hmm. So I broke the Loomis one day, and I went back fishing the river the next morning with some guys, and I, I said, well, I need a rod. I'm going to take the next best rod I got, and that's this Corrado. Took Kristen's rod out there and I broke the rod tip off it. And I know she doesn't listen to the podcast, so I can t say that because I, I immediately went to the store, got a rod repair tip kit, and fixed it, and she has no idea. <laughs> so uh, hopefully. Uh, Somebody go rat you out, brother. Yeah, hopefully her friends aren't listening. <laughs> oh, it's fixed, you know. Yeah. She, she, she knows no different. She lost about two inches of, of rod length there and. Oh, well, yeah, so I was panicked there, but yeah, I, I will say this, and I don't want to specifically give a shout out to Shimano or G. Loomis because nobody sponsors the podcast, right? No doubt. But they have a rod replacement program that's pretty sweet, mm -hmm. um, and a lot of companies do. I used to fish Fenwick rods, which are a bit cheaper, and they had a rod replacement plan, You still too. have that Fenwick? Um, no, I don't, because if I did, I'd be fishing with it. But you know, what happened? Did it break? It broke. Yeah, and I didn't didn't get it replaced because I had a bunch of other rods at that point. But I used to send the Fenwicks back when they broke, and they'd always send me a brand new one. Uh, I was on the phone with G Loomis and Shimano yesterday to get this rod replaced, and 
I mean, it's in the mail. I got a tracking number. You know, they just charge a small fee, or not a small fee. They charge you a fee to replace mm -hmm. it, but it's a lot better than going back to the store and paying full. Well, back in the day, price. they would replace it, no questions asked, but uh, that that got expensive, I believe. Oh, it's still no questions asked. I straight up told the guy what I did. But it was free. You didn't have yeah. to pay a fee. Well, he didn't ask. He didn't ask. I just volunteered it because if you look at their website, it very clearly says we don't care who's at fault or what happened. We'll replace the rod. And so I told the guy straight up, I was like, oh yeah, I just rested in a bad position and dropped a fish and snapped it completely my fault. But they're sending me a new one. Um, so a tip for people, when you're buying a rod, I don't, I don't care what brand it is, maybe look at the replacement program when you're thinking about mm -hmm. it because if you're like me and you're like the guy that Lee loaned that rod to and a bunch of people, I mean, <laughs> yeah, fishing rods, I mean, you're you're out there in the elements with them, you know, mm -hmm. you're kayaking, you're paddling, you're walking oh, yeah. across rocks, you're on slippery surfaces, I mean, they'll break. So look at the rod replacement programs, and uh, and a number of brands have it. So I'm not just giving you one, but I'm taking advantage of it right here. Um, a little aside, one thing that'll help people when you're waiting in slick areas like the the falls is slick. Yeah, you know, yeah. um, it's like slow creeks in summer. They start getting an algae on the bottom of them, and they get slick. You know, make a little waiting staff. You can yeah. make one out of a piece of hickory, drill a hole through it. Put a piece of foam. You can buy those uh, cane replacement foams that people put on canes. Speaking of that. And then put a cane tip on the bottom and you've got a waiting staff. Speaking of that, I have a gift for you, Lee. Yeah, what's that? It's a beaver stick. Oh. You can have it. Really? Yeah, I talked, uh, who did I talk to about it the other day? I was like, I think we should give Lee that that stick. I mean, we've got like a eight, eight and a half foot long beaver stick in here that's perfectly straight and in beautiful shape. And you can- Y'all don't want him? No, I mean, it's just been sitting in the office. It's something one of our guys just randomly picked up off the ground on a shoot because they said, wow, this is pretty cool. I mean, it's just a beaver chew that is a perfectly straight, extremely rigid, really nice, strong stick. And you had made mention before that you had you thought it'd make a really cool waiting staff. Mm -hmm. So the other day I was talking to somebody, I was like, let's just give that to Lee and let him make a waiting staff out of it. It'd be pretty cool. I will. Yeah, so when you walk out today, grab that beaver staff. I will. I want to I wanna see it when you're done though. Cool. And. Um, yeah, a waiting stick is a good idea. And if I think you put a handle on yours mm -hmm. or a rope so yeah. you can kind of wrap it around your wrist or tie You've it off. You've seen mine before. Yeah. yeah, it's a wooden one, but it's I, I bought it and I drilled a, and it. I didn't drill a hole through it because I liked the the end of it. And I just took a piece of that, you know, a polypropylene rope that's multicolored, that's smooth. Yeah. And then uh, and a carabiner so I can clip it on me. But yeah. that helps keep it from, if you slip, then it won't fall off your yeah. wrist or whatever. I'll say that- It saved me, God, they save you. When I see people, uh, usually the people, I'm not trying to do, uh, what's the word here? Generalize here, Lee, I'm not trying to call you out, but typically when I see people with waiting sticks, they're, they're older people. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't really see a lot of people 20 and 30 years old. Well, I'm 53, so I call, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in that category. Well, it's either in that category, I mean, so what I'm saying is you see people but in their I upper- I see people who are carrying expensive equipment that have them yeah. too, because they don't want to break their stuff. Well, people in their upper 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, I see a lot of people with the waiting sticks. And honestly, it's a good idea for anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, it just, I mean, I fall and I might get bruised up and busted and it might not hurt me as much as somebody else. But I mean, a waiting stick would probably save me some gear here and there. Well, I used to, I was always, my friends had them and they're a little bit, some of my best waiting and fishing partners, they're a little older than I am. Yeah. Not much, but they started, Lee, you, you know, you're in the spring chicken like you used to be, you need to wear a stick. And yeah. I busted my butt a couple of times and it hurt and I didn't break my gear, but I almost did. Yeah. Um, lost some stuff, had to run and get it. Yeah. And, like, and they went right across. So I was like, hmm, maybe they're onto something. Yeah. I started I mean, using it's an extra mind. point of contact. It's mm -hmm. more stability. You and got two points you can, of contact all the time. You can uh, Feel check depth yeah. too. 
That's before a good you idea. step in a hole, because boy, I've been fooled many a time. Yeah, there's some uneven rocks down there at the river. It'd be a good idea for there. I would just be afraid of losing it because obviously I'm not going to fish with it in my hand, so I'm going to set it down somewhere. Mm -hmm. But the carabiner is a good idea. I can mm -hmm. just clip it in my backpack and set them all together yeah. on the ground. That way you don't lose it. Um, shoot, where was it going, Lee? I just said something. Oh well, it'll eventually pop back in my head. Um, I told you about the catfishing down there, about the blues, right? Catching the trophies. Mm -hmm. Well, yesterday or two days ago, one of the two, I submitted for the trophy fish, which we've talked about before. It's a program that the Kentucky Department of Fish and Wildlife puts on, and mm -hmm. you have the different lengths of all the trophy fish you need to catch. So I submitted three two days ago, the hybrid striped bass, the flathead catfish, and the uh, blue catfish. And they all got approved, which technically three trophy fish is the Master Angler Award, right? Yeah. And all three of those fish came from within 50 yards of each other. Wow. Down there. I'm like, man, that's just the honey hole. No doubt. But it's all seasonal. So right now, if you were to go down there, the fishing's 150% different than it was two weeks ago. And two weeks ago, it was, it was completely different than it was two weeks before that. Things change so much, and with the different spawns happening, and the water mm -hmm. levels changing, and this is across the board in all the creeks, all the lakes, you know, the the best thing to fish for at that time is always changing. Mm -hmm. So if you're one of those guys who just likes catfishing and you want to chase catfish around, you know, different weather, that's great. And if you're a bass guy, same thing. But there's a lot of opportunity to get out and try different species at different times of the year. And I think that's my favorite thing to do. You know, I want to fish for what's hot. Mm -hmm. So if the white bass are hot in early April, I'm going to be doing that. And then when the largemouth are spawning, I'll probably, you know, go try to do that. And then after that, we got hybrids coming up and they're spawning, so might as well do that. You said it's going to change. What, what, what is? Down below, they're going to release more water? Less water. So oh. right now, talking specifically about McAlpin in Louisville, um, they got two dams, the upper and the lower. And the upper is, you know, straight on with the river. The, the river flows straight into it, goes straight through. And then, and then down, you know, maybe a half mile below, they have the lower dam, which actually flows... Um, it's set up the same way the river is flowing, so the water actually comes through it at an angle and you know mm -hmm. kind of comes in at a 90. But they do fossil bed tours down there in the summer, uh, the interpretive center on the Indiana side. Mm -hmm. So they drop the, the upper dam, they shut it completely off so all that dries up so people can get out there and walk around and explore the fossil beds. My dad did that a bunch when he was a kid. I mean, I've been doing it while fishing. I can't see all of them because some of them are still underwater, but right now they're running one foot of dam on the McAlpin Upper, which is as little as they could possibly run. And here soon, it's gonna go to zero. And when that happens, the fishing's gonna completely change. And uh, you know, I'm kinda dreading that day, but then when that day comes, it's gonna be an opportunity to get out and figure it out again, you know? Mm -hmm. That's what you're constantly doing down there, is you're constantly figuring out where the fish are and how to, how to catch them. Varying your weights and your presentations and looking at the bait, what are they eating, what fish are actually up here in groups right now, what kind of catch. And that's kind of what I was getting at when I said there's something good to, year-round, there's something good to fish for in Kentucky. Um, gar are spawning right now in creeks. If you go down to the creek, you'll see gar all over the bank, right? Mm -hmm. That's an easy fish to target. Not many people do it. Mm -hmm. But if you just want to go down and catch a lot of fish and have some fun, you can go after those right now. The drum are spawning. So you can go out there and you can catch They're them. They're fine. Yeah, drum are fun. But people don't, how many people do you know that go out and specifically target drum? Do you know anybody? Um, not really. Yeah, well, that's a missed opportunity in my mind because, I mean, those fish are up there ready to feed and they're in big groups. Why not go out and have fun and catch them? If you want to eat them, eat them fresh. Well, Don't freeze them. Just eat them immediately. I'm more talking about fun fish. Like, that's what my point is that the people who stick to one species of fish, I mean, that's great. If that's what they love, do it. 
but there's a lot of missed opportunity there for some really good fishing, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'm just not a good fisherman, so I have to get the fish when they're hot, because when they're not hot, I can't do it. But at the same time, I kind of enjoy going after what's hot all the time, mm-hmm. because I feel like it keeps me you know, on the action and on the fish. And oh, yeah. I'm, I'm not as good at bass fishing as the bass guys are because they figure out how to catch them when it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And I'm one of those guys who likes likes to go when the getting's good, you know? And same thing with catfishing. I couldn't tell you how to catch catfish when the when they're not up there wanting to feed, but I can I can do it when they are there, and I have a lot of fun doing it. So I might suggest to people to go out and try something new, maybe go try to target a different species. I love it in, like, October. Yeah. When the sauger began to run up there. Oh, and yeah. it's it's just like, it's like a creek, you know, those little rivulets of water. I mean, you can, it's like fishing a creek. Yeah, that's pretty much when the dam is is at its lowest right there, because mm-hmm. some water still seeps through. So you got little bitty streams and like meandering mm-hmm. waterways to go through there, but um, we're not far from there now. I mean, the water's pretty tame, unless you're right up there on the gate. Yeah. Let's see, water safety trophy fish master. So do we do away with the master angler program though? We're having issues with the website. Okay. I was just curious, but I got, I don't, I don't care. I mean, it's all just, I said on the podcast that I was going to participate in the trophy fish program. So I wanted to follow through with it. That's mm-hmm. pretty much the reason I submitted them. And uh, it's kind of nice. It's on the, my profile. I can go back and see the picture of the fish and the measurement and anytime I want to, I'll just log on to the website. So that's kind of nice too. No doubt. What do you got written down, Lee? I, I've only really got one other thing I want to hit on, but. Well, something about the falls, it's kind of neat. My granddad knew the area well. And he would tell me what it was like before they put in McAlpin Lock and Dam. Yeah. And he said this time of year, late summer, early fall, when the water gets low, mm-hmm. you could you could uh, wade across yeah. the river there. There were several spots you could wade across the river. You know where Otter, Otter Creek is? Mm-hmm. That's one of our properties. Um, there's an S bend in the river there. And they said that you used to be able to walk across right there too. And, that, and you know, I was talking, I've been fishing. He said the river flowed blue. Well, I've been fishing with these guys lately who were kind of river junkies. And um, one of them was telling me about the history of the, the river. And he said before the dams went in, the, the species of fish were much more diverse. Mm-hmm. He was saying we had species of fish here that would have just blown your mind. Sturgeon, I mean, all kinds of stuff well, there. We, people, I did see one of my friends on Facebook caught a sturgeon down there two days ago. People do catch sturgeon quite a bit. Good. I think a lot of times it's uh, incidental. They, I mean, yeah. hardly anybody targets sturgeon. Um, actually... I went fishing one of some randomly. I went fishing another day with a guy named uh, Joe Johnson. You know Joe Johnson? Mm-mm. He holds a state record sturgeon. Okay. Um, and he, his favorite fish to specifically target is sturgeon. And I asked him what he uses for bait. He said night crawlers. That's what I assumed he was using. And so I kind of started to pick his brain a little bit about, well, how do you target sturgeon with night crawlers? Isn't everything in the river going to eat it before mm-hmm. you get a sturgeon? He said it's just all about that preferred water. He said, "You got to know exactly what they, where they want to be, and what they, you know, basically where to fish and how to present it to them." And he said, "If you can do that, you can target the sturgeon." So, I thought it was pretty interesting going out with a guy who literally his favorite species to fish for was something that, I mean, how many sturgeon fishermen do you think we have here in Kentucky? Can't be many. No. Yeah, and he uh, so maybe he, a couple hundred, if that many. I'd say a dedicated sturgeon fisherman. I can't be that many, but he holds uh, he holds the sturgeon record. And he was voicing some frustration to me that they weren't designated lake sturgeon and shovel nose sturgeon. There's only one record for sturgeon. 
he said he could have both records if we would split them. <laughs> well, that's a good. Uh, that's a good point because the, the 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 other is like sturgeon. Yeah. Well, he so right now his record just says sturgeon, mm -hmm. and um, he said that it would be a piece of cake for him to go down there and catch a a lake sturgeon or you know because the sturgeon that he caught is there one that you can't keep out of the valid sturgeon I think they're they're rare. Well, the one sturgeon that he caught that was the record he actually brought it here to headquarters and uh, had. Well, maybe Rob Rold. Somebody looked at it. No, Jay Jay Harala looked mm -hmm. at it. He was actually down there in the Cumberland area. He caught it out of Lake Cumberland. But um, yeah, the sturgeon is a fish that I would really like to catch, and they get pretty dang big. Yeah, like those are Lake Sturgeon. A friend of mine caught one in the cast net on Lake Cumberland. I believe you that bait for striper fishing. This guy Joe. This is hearsay. He told me this. Um, he told me that a biologist told him that based on when we originally started stocking sturgeon at, at the length that we started stocking sturgeon at this point in time there could be um, something like a hundred pound sturgeons um, swimming around in Lake Cumberland just I mean they're probably at the bottom sitting mm -hmm. at you know 180 or 190 feet nobody's catching them but he said based on that if they survive they could potentially be giants down there so I would I would like to go out and try to figure out how to, how to target them that's on my to-do list uh, you look at our, tro our Kentucky fish like that one actually doesn't have sturgeon on it mm -hmm. but that one does mm -hmm. uh, when you um, I'm looking at the Rick Hill they're, posters yeah, here they're fascinating I would like to catch them man species I've, I've only touched one they're ancient I mean them yeah. and gar I mean they're, they're yeah. swimming dinosaurs they or really are the sturgeon they have that bone like back you know I mean they I, that's what it feels it looks like. like a dinosaur yeah. yeah I'd like to go catch that fish. watch those scoots on the back near the uh, buddy mine got lit up by a lake sturgeon with really? the scoots well it's flopping on the deck trying to get out of a cast net yeah nailed him inside the leg cut him up pretty good I tell you something I've added to my tackle box lately actually I, I carry a backpack because like I said I do a lot of waiting tackle box is kind of hard to carry no doubt but I just wear a backpack Something I added to my backpack the other day is a set of gloves, which I mean, because that braided line I'm fishing with, I don't, I, my hands are so cut up, like the joints on my fingers where I grab it and I pull mm -hmm. on it or I'm tying a knot or something, I would leave the river with cuts on every one of my fingers and the joints from that braided line. And then when I get back in my car, a lot of times my hands are real dirty from touching night crawlers or fish guts or something like that. I would take my uh, hand sanitizer I keep in my car, give myself a squirt, and man, <laughs> woo -hoo -hoo. Yeah. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I, every time that I, I left the river for the past week or so, when I got in my car and I put that hand sanitizer on there, I wouldn't even think about it. I'd start rubbing it in, and then I would just be sitting there in pain for two or three minutes, because I mean, that stuff burns. Mm -hmm. And there's those little bitty cuts, you know. So I've added a, a pair of gloves, and it's actually, I used to have a motorcycle, and it's my motorcycle gloves that have like the carbon fiber knuckles mm -hmm. on them and stuff mm -hmm. like that, so they're they're pretty tough and uh, fit pretty form-fitting. So I'm like, I could probably even fish with these on if I needed to. Mm -hmm. And you know what, Lee? While we're on the topic, something else added to my fishing tackle is uh, sunscreen. Because mm -hmm. I'm telling you, standing on those fossil beds or standing out, because there's no trees around, right? There's no shade available. And standing out there baking from 8 o'clock in the morning until 3.30 in the afternoon last Friday in 95-degree heat, I mean, I I pack a long sleeve shirt now. I pack a hat, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, a, a wide brim hat. No, I just wear a baseball hat, but I have a uh, my buff, my Kentucky Wild, like yep. like a bandana type face mask. It, what is it? It looks like a shirt sleeve if you just cut it off, and you can kind of yep, pull it up. I've got several. Yeah, so I've been taking those in the sun protection. Right. You can tell I'm a I'm a slightly different hue now than I mm -hmm. used to be. And if I take off my watch here, I damn near glow in the yeah, dark. I hear you, brother. 
Yeah, look, that's what color my skin was in uh, December, right there. I know. <laughs> so I know, man. I'm the same way. I love it though. But yeah, sunscreen. I wear a wide brim hat, and I put sunscreen on every morning on my face. Wow. I need to do it, and I wear, I wear long sleeves in the yeah. summer. I Lo mean, lots of uh, those lot breathable, really light nylon shirts are not that bad. They'll yeah. protect you. Well, and not just that, but water too, mm -hmm. and it can be a little bit deceiving when you're poison when you're, ivy too. Except it didn't help me that one day. Well, when you're standing <laughs> in the water like waist deep. Um, you know, you feel pretty comfortable. Uh, you know, it, it feels pretty cool. But when you're talking about overheating and heat exhaustion, it's your core temperature that matters, you know. Mm -hmm. And I could stand up. I, I, I did get a little bit, I want to say heat exhaust. I don't want to know. If, I don't know what the right word is. But I got a little bit sick twice this year from uh, exposure, I guess mm -hmm. it was. And I would be standing in the water and, you know, I'd feel fine. And then all get of a sudden. a little sudden, dizzy. I would just start feeling weak and a little bit shaky in the hands. And. And I would just start pounding water and, you know, eventually it'd be better. But you don't realize that your core temperature is just rising and rising and rising. We were on a photo shoot on North Elkhorn last year and I had my PFD on and it was about, it was summer and hot. And I paddled and paddled and paddled and I pulled over and I started feeling this. Yeah. Yep. Whoa, whoa. I got off. Um, I ate something. I ate an orange. I drank my water and I got in the water and just kind of cooled off and then it went away. Yeah. But, I mean, I felt like well, I your, was about to black out. Just your core temperature getting up, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, you got to think of that sun's beating down and it's that hot out. Your body's not self-regulating itself to stay cool. No. And one thing you need to make sure you're doing is sweating. Yeah. The, one of the first signs is when you quit sweating and yeah. it's hot out, you know that you're not, you're not hydrated. Yeah. Right? Because your body naturally, that's how it cools itself down. It's going to sweat. And if for some reason you stop sweating, that means you're dehydrated and it means you're gonna overheat a lot quicker. Mm -hmm. So I always like to like to sweat. When mm -hmm. I used to play basketball a lot, I would play basketball and whenever I was in the middle of a game and I realized that I'd stopped sweating, that was pretty much time to call it quits. Because that's when my body was, you know, gonna go downhill from there. Yeah. And um, yeah, hit I just wanted to hit on that real quickly. But people don't hydrate. They don't think about it. Hydrate, get, hydrate, hydrate. Get those electrolytes. And sometimes you'll get a headache too is one of the you start getting a bad headache and you're not sweating. Yeah. See, I'm lucky. Drink water, get in the shade, cool Head off. Headaches don't really, I don't, if I get a headache, something's really wrong. Mm -hmm. I, I never get headaches, but I know Chad does have pretty bad issues with them sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's things like uh, light and hydration. So, you know, sometimes he'll be like, oh, I need some water. Hey, I can feel a headache coming on. And that's a, that's a sign of it right there. Yep. So, something else I wanted to get into, Lee, was deer season prep. I mean, it's yep. July the 15th right now. Uh, isn't it? Yes, yes. It is the 15th. So we have a month and a half until deer season starts. And honestly, if you're a bow hunter, it's time. I mean, this is the time of year where you should start getting geeked up. All these deer have, you know, you can pretty much tell what a deer is going to be. I'm seeing big bucks, you know, roadside, big velvet antlers. And um, if you're a bow hunter, right now is the time to be running cameras and to be hanging stands and to be getting the prep work in because you don't want to do that last minute. You walk in there. A week before season, you might bump that buck, and he might mm -hmm. head on out. But if you go in there right now and do it, you give him time to get more, get comfortable, and uh, and you know, get used to the surroundings, and you can just wait for the right weather, wait for the right wind, slip in there that one time, and hopefully get it done. That's an ideal situation. It doesn't really work out like that, especially for me. But mm -hmm. um, scouting is what you should be doing right now if you're a deer hunter, especially a bow hunter. Uh, trail cameras. A lot of people, you know, use corn or use feeders, which is legal here in Kentucky this time of year to do, as long as you're deer hunting, not turkey. Mm -hmm. um, I personally like travel corridors. So one of the easiest travel corridors to find is a creek crossing. And, you know, it's hot out. Those deer, they need water. 
so they're going to be going to the creeks so i like to set my camera up where on a creek crossing you know it's real obvious where they walk up and down the bank you everybody who's been on a creek has seen those worn out spots yep you know that's where they're crossing you might as well put a camera there see what's in the area and then another technique some people use with their trail cameras is uh open fields so if you got a big bean field or something they might set it up so that it can see a large area of the field and if something sets it off, then they'll, they'll be able to see all what's in the distance. Or a lot of trail cameras now also have a time of day setting. So you can tell it to take one picture every two minutes, you know, from this time of day to that's, this time yeah, of day. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. How did, yeah. A friend of mine was setting his up, and they're a little bit older. Yeah. And uh, me and my brother and him were going through, and he's like, uh, how often should I set it? And, you know, yeah. he's, how often should you set it? Well, it depends. Like, if you have a, if you're one of the people who puts corn out and you got a camera set up over corn, well, those deer are going to be coming in there and hanging out. The memory out. card has a lot to do with it, what, yeah. how, what model it is, correct? Yeah, how big the card is, how many pictures you can hold, and uh, the battery life, too, you know. But So if you set it up over corn, I mean, there's a chance you might have a doe come in there and hang out for an hour and a half eating corn. And if you got your camera set up to take a picture every 10 seconds, well, I hope you enjoy looking at that doe because mm -hmm. you're going to have a lot of pictures to look at. So I would suggest if you're using something that's going to keep the deer in front of the camera to set it up, you know, not so often. So that if that deer gets in there and hangs out for a while, you might have a, several pictures of it, but you know, you're know you flipping through pretty quick. If you're set up on a creek crossing or something like that where the deer's just passing through, I set mine up almost on the quickest interval I can because a deer might come through and if another deer comes through 15 seconds behind it, I wanna see where that deer is. Yeah. So I set mine up really quick as long as it's uh. But then you burn your battery and your card up quicker, well, correct? Well, you don't get as many pictures. I mean, okay, so. My buddy who puts corn out, uh, Brandon, he will check his trail cameras every week and he might have 3,000 pictures on the camera. When I put mine up on a trail or a crossing, I might check mine every month because I don't have to go back and put corn out. So I can just leave it running. And when I check it, I might have five or 600 pictures because it's literally triggering it one time per deer that crosses versus 100 times for a deer that just sits there and eats forever. Mm -hmm. You know, But the open fields, so I think your buddy was probably asking about duration between pictures. Yes. The open fields one is where, you know, your prime time of day is going to be right around daylight and dusk, right? So they will put the camera up looking over a large area, way too large for something in the area to actually trigger the camera unless it's really close. So they'll set it up and they'll say starting at 6 a.m. and going until 9 a.m., I want a picture every five minutes. And then they can thumb through that and they're basically looking at the field. So it's not necessarily a specific animal that's triggering the camera. It's set up on a automatic timer to take the pictures mm -hmm. at a certain time of day. That's the way he was setting his yeah. up. If, if you're just looking over an area and you want to see a lot, that's the way to do it. I never have personally done that, but I do have buddies that do. And they would uh, just run it. I to think take that's how we end up doing it is once every five minutes. Well, if you don't have... Because it, it's he lives here and this was down his lake property. Yeah. So, I mean, that's nearly a two-hour drive. So it's not like he's going to be able to check it every three days. So... I, uh, and he has an older model that doesn't have the card that we have now. I mean, yeah. it, you know, now that they, you can hold a hell of a lot more. Now, I'm telling you, I remember taking uh, film to Kroger to have my trail cam pictures developed when I was a kid. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not that old, but I'm old enough to remember doing that. <laughs> Brother, I remember going on uh, magazine shoots and taking my film to, my slide film to get processed, hoping, oh, God, was the exposure right? Did I overexpose? Because <laughs> you wouldn't know until you got them back yeah. if you had anything. Our digi digital photography's up a lot. Oh, my God. It's been, you know, it's been a godsend because you can look immediately, oop, that one, mm, these, this series, I don't like the composition on that. Hey, y'all, let's, let's, let's reshoot this. But, yeah. You know. And, uh, but you get up many times I've came home, it's like, hmm, I took 
uh, three rolls of absolute junk. Yeah. And then you'd no, have to I, go out and reshoot. I remember walking in Kroger when I was probably 12 or 13 years old and with my, my mom's going to get groceries and I'd go with her and I'd drop off my film at the camera desk and I'd tell them one hour turnaround and, you know, I'd be over there, you know, waiting half an hour later seeing if they had my pictures <laughs> ready yet so I could sit there and thumb through them. So my first memories of looking at trail cam photos and getting real excited was uh, sitting on the bench in the front of Kroger waiting for my mom to finish grocery shopping. <laughs> I, I remember that well, man. Go in there and take that roll of well, film. I used to in. carry a paper camera with me to on fishing trips. Yeah. The uh, I tell you where digital photography's really helped. I mean, it's helped you a lot with uh, that. And you can shoot so much more. My God, you used to have 36 rolls. You know, you bring three rolls. I mean, you didn't shoot bam, 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 bam like you yeah. do now. You know, when you had side film, you had 36 and you'd have to change rolls. Yeah. You may bring four rolls, but. And I think about 36 pictures being your limit in a trail camera, because that's what it was. I mean, mm -hmm. it was a roll of film. It's 36 pictures, all you got out of a trail camera. Now, this SD card right here sitting in front of us is only eight gigs. So it's actually one of the, it's the second smallest SD card you can pretty much buy. I think that's what my buddies were. That bad right. boy will hold 4,000. You know, 4,000 high quality pictures that are just beautiful, better than film. And technology's come so far, and then in video editing, Sangster in here, one of our producers, um, you know, he's been editing video for a long time, and he'll he'll occasionally tell me about. Oh, I remember when we had to splice the film and tape, oh, yeah. it, tape it together. Tape it together. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, man, that sounds horrible. <laughs> I don't think I would have yeah, gotten into it. You know, that, that's where the old saying, "All that was on the cutting room floor," because yeah. they'd cut and cut and. You know, then you'd have to make a good segue and you'd tape it together and cut, cut. And Lee, I'm not sure that I'd be in this uh, video industry if we were still cutting film. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 you, you know, at the time you didn't know any better, so yeah. you, didn't, you, you didn't know what you were missing. Well, so. I got into this as a hobby, you know. Mm -hmm. It was something I just, I did on my own, just out of my own pure interest. And if I had to cut film, I got to say, I probably never would have got into that hobby. Well, so. we used to send off our pages and you'd have to print off something, cut it, off the off the printer, cut it to size, run it through a waxer, yeah. and then you put it on a, the layout page, yeah. and you can only edit in blue. That's why they're called blue pencil awards. You can only edit in blue pencil because that wouldn't show up, and you'd have to roll it and, and pray to God when it went through to make the first contact sheet that one of your stories didn't fall off. Or yeah. if you had a little cut line like that, getting them to stick on that hot wax, you're like, please stick. You roll the fire <laughs> out of it. Okay. Oh God, it's, it, that seems like. Like Stone Age now. We've come a long way. Mm -hmm. You know, thank God. Uh, I don't know who the inventor of the digital camera was, but I appreciate him. Mm -hmm. I should know that. Who, who invented the actual camera? Do you know? I do not know. You know what we need to do, Lee, on this show? Uh, we need to do a, like a five-question trivia segment. Mm -hmm. But who would ask the question? Maybe I bet you there's a trivia thing online where we could tell we just want to do trivia and you it know, would give us questions. Kodak used to be one of the biggest companies in the country. Yeah. And they refused to uh, adapt. You? Yep. you know, they yeah. thought, oh, people still wanted to take their. No, no they didn't. Wow, Kodak they? is gone. Yeah. Would you ever want to go back to a film? No. Now, at the time, the argument was digital is kind of flat. The color saturation is much better with film. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I felt that way for about six months and it's like, hmm, I yeah. can shoot millions. Um, I can also. Um, if it's a little underexposed, I can fix that yeah. on the computer, but not to manipulate the picture, but I mean, you did the same thing back in the day with, with what was called burning and dodging. Like if you had a, uh, a black and white picture, when you were in the um, dark room, you could manipulate the light to make it either darker in one spot where it wasn't that well, or lighten up another spot. And yeah. So I mean, we were doing the same thing back then. Just harder. But much harder. Much harder. Um, something else that goes along with deer season prep. I said scouting, I hit on trail cameras, hanging stands, right? 
I guess we should probably talk. I mean, obviously you want to hang stands where the deer are, right? And you don't want to hang them in an ash tree that's dead. Well, that's where one of my favorite stands is. Hmm. I probably won't be hunting out of it anymore. I mean, I, I it's, this is probably not good on the side of safety. Mm -hmm. I hunted that dead tree for three years after it died. And I would kind of, you know, I would look at it. It was still stable, you know. I mean, it, I could just tell that it had died. And I hunted that stand, which wasn't very high off the ground, for another three years because I just love that spot. But then I think I made the decision two years ago that I was done with it. <clears throat> you know, it's just... Th is the tree still there? I haven't been this year to check. But I made the decision, you know, when I started to think that the tree was no longer safe to to quit doing that. And I used a bunch of other dead ash trees in the area. Like I said, I would not suggest doing this. I'm not telling you to do it. Um, and there was a lot of ash in that area and they had all died, right? So I was watching the other trees and I was, you know, if one of those trees had fell, you know, at some point, I was gonna call it quits immediately. Um, none of them ever did. And I just ended up thinking, okay, well, this is, at this point, I'm done with this tree just because I need to move on. Um, you want to hang your stands where the deer are going to be. I would say that where you're going to hang your stands has a lot to do with where you put your cameras. So if you're one of the guys who scouts with corn and, and uses corn to bring the deer in and see what's in the area, might as well hunt the corn. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's legal here in the state of Kentucky. It's not what I do, but I'm nothing against it. Yeah. And that's a great method. Some of my buddies who, Brandon, who um, who uses corn in the summer to, to figure out what deer are in the area and to pick out a specific deer to hunt, I mean, he has the highest early season success rate of anybody I know. I mean, he's extremely effective. I like to hunt the travel areas. Uh, because mainly the reason for that is I don't like the deer hanging out near me. Um, I don't want a, a group of does to come in and just be sitting there for two hours and those extra eyes on me and extra noses around where if a big buck does come in, where if I go to pick up my bow or make a move, it's just more, more that's in between me and getting that deer. And... Um, also, those deer, if you're hunting corn, tend to stick around after night. So you're sitting in your stand, you've got deer right in front of you, and it gets dark, you can't hunt anymore, you're still sitting there. Are you gonna climb down and scare those deer away and let them know exactly where you are? Or are you gonna sit there for an hour and, and hope they move off, not really knowing if they did or not? So there's some risks that come with hunting around corn. Hey, listen. Well, that's never happened before. <laughs> I don't know if the viewers can hear it, but we are mowing yards today. We are mowing the mowing the grass. That's never ever happened. No, that's actually this year we've gotten lucky. Maybe I mean that, but you're right. This Usually year, that happened every time. Man, this is a must be the the best growing grass in the state of Kentucky, right outside this window here. <laughs> some kind of Bermuda grass or something. Um, but uh, as far as hanging stands go, there is a safety aspect to it because. I mean, once you get the deer stand in the tree, and if especially you know you got a safety harness rope up there, mm -hmm. and you know what you're doing, you know hunting out of a deer stand isn't that isn't that bad, but hanging the stand a lot of times, you know, I mean you're working the stand into the tree. It's not quite as safe. You need to be safe while you're hanging the stand. And I just wanted to make mention that we produced uh, uh, two how-to videos last year: how to do a lock-on stand safely and how to do a hang-on stand. And those are on YouTube. You can just Google or YouTube Kentucky Field Deer Stand and it'll bring up both of those videos. And Chad literally walks through the process of hanging a stand mm -hmm. and he hits on the safety components too. So if you want to see how to hang a stand, he goes over which trees to avoid. You know, shag bark hickories. You don't want to hang a stand on something that has um, loose bark like mm -hmm. some birch and sycamore could have. Mm -hmm. uh, so he goes into some of the trees. Sycamore especially. Yeah. They're slick as not. So going into some of the trees to look for 
and um, how to do it safely is just a good tip. So people should get on YouTube and, and kind of look at that. It's way more detail than we. And can you want to avoid the old remember the old screw in steps that yeah. people would do. Yeah, I did that a lot. Yeah, yeah, those are. If you fall, you can get impaled on one of those. One of my buddies. If you slip. The steps you're talking about are basically a screw mm -hmm. that have a 90 degree angle, mm -hmm. you know, step on them. You screw them into the tree, and it's basically just a metal rod sticking, sticking out. Sticking out. One of my buddies, uh, we were hunting when we were in high school, and he was climbing up the stand, and his foot slipped, and he fell, and he caught his chin on one of those oh. steps. He had to go to the hospital and get stitches that busted his chin all the way open. Right oh, there. I bet. Yeah. We, uh, we, well, there's we, people that have gotten killed on those things, but they yeah. get impaled. I can see it, but yeah, that's a, that's a good point of advice. Um, the climbing sticks are nice. Mm -hmm. I never have owned a pair, but that's what we use here for the show. So if we hang some lock-ons, we'll you know, use climbing sticks. It's a lot easier when you got a backpack and stuff like that. Um, climbing sticks are nice. They're also a little bit pricey. And that, that's why cheap people like me go with the screw-in sometimes. Because mm -hmm. you can pick up, you can say, okay, well, I need to get 16 Just feet in the tree. Just be careful if you know. Yeah. You say, I need to get 16 feet in the tree. I can space them two feet apart. I need eight climbing sticks. They're $1.97. Do you get ever them. use a ladder stand? Uh, I don't. I don't think I've ever owned a ladder stand, to be honest with you. I've just always, I kind of like the low profile. That's why I said I, when I hunt, I don't really hunt over corn. I just kind of, I like to hunt trails and creek crossings because... I don't really want anything to know I'm there. Mm -hmm. You know, so I sit there and I just let the deer come and Did go. Do you just sit in the ground blind too? Oh, I, I like, I don't hunt out of a ground blind. I sit on the ground. Yeah. I put my back against a tree, just like I'm turkey hunting. My brother has one of those little tents. That's what he loves to have, yeah. little tent blinds. They're, and as long as, I mean, deer, you know, they're really perceptive to movement and scent. But, I mean, you can sit on the ground and be 20 yards from a deer. And as long as you're being still and you're not moving and you got a good wind, I mean, they'll just sit there and they won't. And that's my cool, that's the coolest situation to be in while you're hunting is to be down there eye level with a deer. Mm -hmm. And I personally like it without the uh, the ground blind enclosure. I just like sitting in the woods and having the, that deer come right up next to me. And it's really cool. And it can be more risky because when you ground hunt, not in a ground blind, you got to think wherever you sit, you're leaving a, a huge area of scent there, right? There's no chance of me going out in September and sitting on the ground without getting up and leaving a lot of scent in the area from where I've been breathing and sweating and moving around. And uh, you're leaving sign on the ground for those deer to... Avoid. Yeah, they'll, they'll, they'll figure it out. They smell that. I mean, a big buck, he's, he's lived that long for a reason. I mean, if he smells, okay, there's something dangerous in this area, he's not going to hang out there for long. So he'll move on. And I think that's part of the mistake I made last year. I got too aggressive and let the deer know I was there and he eventually moved on. And uh, that's why I got killed on the farm next door. Hmm. So something to think about. Um, you got anything else, Lee? I think I'm good. Well, um, again, if you go swimming, um, remember, lakes are not a swimming pool. There's no bottom jump off of No lifeguards. There's no lifeguards. And when you're in the middle of a lake, there's nothing to gauge how far. If you've ever crossed Kentucky late on a boat, you're like, I'm going to get to LBA. I'm going to get there. We're getting in. You like go for 10 minutes and it's you've went nowhere. Um, things are much further than they often seem when you're in, when you're out on the lake. So just be careful. I mean, this spate of drownings we have is just a it's a tragedy. Yeah, I agree. Well, people need to be safe. That's something we've been harping on lately. And I mean, everybody, the whole agency. The agency is has a but message. If you wear a PFD, you don't have to worry about it. You're going to survive. No, the agency has a. I mean, we're pushing water safety right now because drownings are up, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, it's not something that's agenda driven. There's. I mean, the, the, we're getting no money from saying, hey, wear your life jacket. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just about people's safety. And trust me, these conservation officers don't like responding 
to, to a drowning. I mean, no. it's got to be one of the worst days on the job for them. Nobody up here, I mean, there's not a person out there that likes what's going on with water safety in the state of Kentucky. People here may be included the most in that because mm -hmm. they have to deal with it, you know, firsthand. And so it's, it's a true message. It's not agenda driven. It's just, hey, be safe and wear your life jacket. Yeah. And it's nothing to, I mean, I don't know if there's any real argument against it. No. Oh, well. It'll and, save your life every time. And also don't leave your trash. Yes. Yeah, hit on that. I saw, that a, drives me I saw crazy. a video on Facebook earlier. Of and, some, and pack out your fishing line. I can. I saw a duck today. Had yeah. a fishing line wrapped around. Really? Mm -hmm. oh, I, I, did. I did. I saw a, a guard the other day that was wrapped up. You know, and I'm guessing that somebody hooked it and he rolled. Mm -hmm. You know, guard roll. Um, I saw a video on Facebook earlier of some guy who threw some trash out his window while he's uh, sitting on the side of the road, and this huge dude came by and picked his trash up and threw it in him, his car and hit him in the face with it. I was pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty happy about that. Big old bodybuilder looking guy. I mean, that's just, you know, no excuse for that. No, no, just pure laziness. All right, Lee, I don't got anything else. I say we call it quits. I'm going to try to fish today, so. Well, good luck. Are, I was you, going, supposed are, to, are you going to the river again? I was supposed to go wade fishing with Jameson today, but some stuff came up shoot-wise. Um, and that's not going to be a possibility. So I'm either heading to Elkhorn for a short wade trip or I'm hitting the river. One of the two. I'm in Frankfurt were, right now. Were you Jameson? Were y'all going to Ohio River? Oh, we we're going to go to Elkhorn and wade. Um, you know, it's an, I haven't even looked at the water. 111. 111? That's not bad. But yesterday, I unchecked it today. Yeah. So. All right. For well, waiting, that'd be fine. Yeah, it'd be perfect. Let's call it quits, Lee. Okay, man. All right. Appreciate you coming in. No problem, brother.